The rest of us, we're going to be uh, turning a, a couple chapters ahead in the, the, the stories of God's work in the world. We're going to be taking a look at a book called First Thessalonians. And if you've been worshiping with us, you know we've spent the last long time uh, looking at, at Samuel, the, the, the histories of Samuel that he wrote. And um, I'm going to take a little break from that because I think that there's something here that, that we need to notice, and that is that it is still the season of Easter. I know I keep saying this over and over again, but, but the reason that, that Easter is a 50-day-long season is because the resurrection is that important to who we are. And there's a lot of really cool things about David. You know I like him. Uh, but there's one thing David can't do. There's one place that David can't take us, and he can't take us to what it looks like to do life in light of the resurrection. Because David never got that chance. He longed for the kinds of things that the resurrection brought. He, he lived in light of the same God who brought the resurrection. But, but what does it look like for you and for me when the resurrection's in the rearview mirror? How do we live? How do we think? How do we believe? How do we pray? And so I want us to take a look at this little church in uh, Thessalonica. This is one of the very first books, one of the very first letters that we have in the entire New Testament, one of the very earliest moments, this group of people who were confused and, and disheveled and, and a very small minority in the cities of which they live, but they believe this one thing, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose from the dead. It was something that changed everything for them, and I think it has a chance to change everything for us as well. So if you have your Bible, you can take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 1. You can follow along in your bulletin as well. This is a letter written uh, from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, as we eavesdrop in on this moment and time and place in history... As the, the people who 
were known by your name, tried to understand what it meant for them, what the deeds that you had done on earth, what it changed and what it didn't, what hopes they ought to have and, and what hopes were vain. Lord, I pray that as we listen in thousands of years later, God, that by your spirit you would help us to, to see ourselves, to know ourselves, to know that the joys and the traumas are very much the same. So God, attend to us by your word, we pray. Amen. January 24th of, of this year, a, a number of people began to receive phone calls. And we and I wouldn't have found out about it till much later, but these folks... It was the biggest event of their year, maybe the biggest, one of the biggest events of their lives. You see, there had been a, a, an all-out search for a little boy named Casey Hathaway, a, a three-year-old toddler who had wandered off into the woods behind his grandma's house and hadn't been seen for 55 hours. 55 hours in the, the woods of North Carolina where rain uh, was falling, where freezing temps were felt at night, where there's bears and coyotes and sinkholes and, and just about every perilous thing you could picture for a three-year-old little Casey had gone into. And so, uh, rightfully so, they had called in every local agency, every state agency, every federal agency to, to carry on this search. Volunteers combed through the woods looking day after day, trying to find Casey, terrified of what they might find. But they found little Casey curled up in a ball in the middle of a thorn patch, calling for his mom. And the, boy, and the, the, the news of the celebration, the news of this astonishing, how could he possibly have lived for on the third day since his disappearance, how could he have endured? As we come to this text, you may not know it, but Paul is having a moment, you can, uh, a mother moment as he rushes to, to respond to these people, his little babies, if you would. People whom he had, had come and he had ministered in their midst. He had preached in their synagogues, and he had seen some of them begin to believe in this resurrection from the dead, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. But almost as quickly as he had proclaimed it to them, the, the authorities began to get jealous. And they came and they arrested his host, whom he was staying with, and they dragged him before court. And they accused him of, of trying to to overthrow Caesar by proclaiming a, a new king. And so Paul and Silas and, and Timothy had to flee by the cover of night into the next town. But so angry and hateful were these leaders, so vehement were they that they were going to stomp out this teaching that they followed Paul as he went to Berea and they chased him from there as well. And so for the weeks and the months and the years, Paul could think, all Paul could think about was these young children in the faith. The people that had been left into the, the, the wilderness of, of, uh, of 
oppression and accusation and marginalization. They didn't have bears and coyotes, but they had Roman province rulers and they had Jewish leaders who wanted nothing more than to imprison them and to stop them and to even kill them. They didn't have the the treacherous terrain or the, the freezing temperatures, but they lacked instruction. They lacked guidance. They lacked Uh, a a mommy and daddy to be there with them to figure out what they were supposed to do, what they were supposed to believe, and how they were supposed to act. But Paul has received the phone call. He's received news from Timothy, whom he went, sent back to go see, see if you can find these people and see if they're okay. And the report has come back to them. They are alive, and they are growing, and they are thriving. They are healthy. And Paul's question is the same as I bet, uh, as I bet Casey's mother's question, question is, is, how is it possible? How is it possible that against all these odds and against all this hate and against all this terror that things could possibly be okay, even better than okay, growing, thriving, healthy? How do you explain it? What happened? I want to propose to you guys that that what we see in this text and what we will see repeatedly throughout this letter and, and many of the others is that for Paul, he understands the resurrection to be the, the difference maker, the X factor. For us, Easter comes and it goes and it's filled with the, the, the pretty dresses and the pastels and the Easter egg hunts, but it is... Uh, quickly supplanted, right? It's Memphis in May weekend, right? Week, month, right? The whole month. Uh, the music festival, it's graduation season. It's, it's time for, to move on with the story, but Paul doesn't move on. He goes back, and he rehearses with them what has transpired in their midst. And so he gives them three things I want to propose to us today, three things that the resurrection gave them, three reasons that they were able to survive and indeed thrive in their situation was because of the way the resurrection changed them. The first of these is one that it's hard to miss, and that is that Paul understands their plight, that, that they were enabled by a divine strength, a divine strength. You see it right from the beginning. The church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, right? Verse 2, we give thanks to God constantly as we remember you in our prayers. Um, uh, We know, brothers, that you are loved by God for he has chosen you. You didn't choose him. He found you tells us in in verse 5 that the gospel has come uh, um, to you not only in word but also in power and the Holy Spirit. It tells us that he is the living and true God in verse 9, going into verse 10. uh, And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. You see, we think of little five-year-old Casey and we're terrified and we're afraid and we're terrified and afraid precisely because he's weak because he's a three-year-old boy 
when I, I shared this with my wife back when it happened, and, and we happened to have a three-year-old little boy. And so um, she, of course, went to an emotional place that I was not able to join her in this, right? Um, and she said, what if that happened to Levi? And uh, I w in my brain, I was thinking, well, do you want me to answer this honestly? <laughs> right? Because the, 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 the honest answer to that question is probably not. Well, in fact, I'm pretty sure if, you, if we set out the full table full of food in our heated and air-conditioned house, right, gave him a whole water bottles full of clean water, uh, that somehow three days would not transpire without him injuring himself, right? I'm pretty sure that, that, they, that things would not go well because he is so little. He's so ignorant. He's so, uh, well, he's kind of stupid, right? He's a three-year-old little boy. But at the same time, if, if Bear Grylls goes and wanders off into the woods in, in North Carolina, right, no one pays attention. No one's thinking about, well, he didn't even have a coat on when he left, right? It's Bear Grylls, right? It's just another Tuesday for the man. Going off into the wilderness. If you don't know who Bear Grylls is, he's a survivalist expert that has a bunch of shows on cable TV. Caught you up to speed there, right? Right? The, the, but the, the, the thing about the little children is that they're alone. That they don't have the strength. That they don't have the guidance. But even for these people in Thessalonica, even these people who had mere weeks of teaching on the Holy Scriptures, they were not alone. They had been identified, they had been picked out, they had been loved by a God who didn't just make the world, but a God who controlled it, a God who picked them up because he loved them. They were not in danger and they were not alone because they were enabled by a divine strength, a divine strength which verse 10 tells us we see most clearly evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus. You see, because they had seen the resurrection, they knew that God was powerful enough to be with them. But we live in a world where it can seem like the resurrection doesn't matter. And if you don't believe that the resurrection happened, or if you don't think that it's important enough than the, this, this powerful God who controls and sustains and is present means a little bit less to you. And so as we encounter the, 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 the doubts and the fears that mark every person's life, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Can I make it? Right? When we encounter opposition from, uh, from those who don't like us, who don't want us to be around, who don't want us to have influence or power, but who want us to be marginalized and knocked down. If we encounter the, the sufferings and the heartaches and the losses of those who die or those who are sick or the tra travails that come in life, all of the kinds of things that these people in Thessalonica did, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you have nowhere else to go but to curl up in a ball. You have nowhere else to go but to try and convince yourself that you have enough power on your own to get through it, that you're a survivor. You have nowhere to go but to, to drown out the doubts and the fears and in, in, in whatever human vice is your vice. But if the resurrection is true, 
If God really did raise Jesus from the dead, well, then that changes everything. Secondly, he, he gives us a, a pick. The resurrection points us to a, a divine strength, but it also uh, points us to a supernatural hope. Right? You see this in this passage, verse 3, a steadfastness of hope. And verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, who Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, the Christian story is not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he ascended to heaven and that he would come again, right? That these people who are enduring the scorn and the heartache and the persecution could exist. They could sustain life. They could live another day because they saw an end. They saw a final hope, right? If you... Uh, were to put some some money on some horses this weekend, right? And if you had uh, the ability to know who the winner was going to be, not just the winner of the race, but, you know, once they reviewed the elements and, and they made a uh, disqualification, if you didn't follow the news, the winner of the Kentucky Derby got disqualified. I'm making a lot of disclaimers here today, yeah. Um, that, that the... That if you could see what's coming, right? If you bet on Country Horse, who is the ended up winner, this long shot to win, you, you might have felt the scorn and the pity of those around you being like, this guy's an idiot. He's about to lose a bunch of money. right? But if you knew what was going to happen beforehand as they scorned you, as they laughed at you, it would mean nothing. Because you know who gets the last laugh, right? The resurrection, the role that the resurrection plays in their life, and you can see it again in verse here in verse 10, whom he raised from the dead. It is the proof. It is the evidence that things are not going to continue the way that they've always been. We think of our pain. We think of our sorrow. We think of our doubts we think of our inadequacies and and more often than not we think that if we don't do something this is never going to go away i'm going to live in this sorrow i'm going to live in this loss and so we endure the the prisons of our own uh, desires to make something of ourselves we live in the moment of trying to, to squeeze out whatever pleasure we can because the end is worse than what we have now. But the resurrection flips that tables where the end, the good that we have now is just a, a taste, a sweet foretaste of what's to come. See, these people were able to survive the heartache and the loss and the persecution because they have been enabled by a supernatural hope of knowing the resurrection at the end. Finally, though, the resurrection pointed to something else in them, and that was a, a, a lived reality. It's really fascinating that as, as Paul is commenting back to these Thessalonians, right, he's saying, look at all that has happened in your midst. Look at the, the growth. Verse 3, the work of faith, the labor of of love, right? Verse 5, that, the, that the, the message of Jesus Christ came upon you and you didn't just hear it like a 
a message. You didn't just hear it like a voicemail. You didn't hear it just as words, but it came upon you in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. There is something in you that is transformed, transformed in a way that words uh, doesn't justify. This is a good one. This is my favorite. Um, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The affliction with joy. You received something that brought you great sorrow, and yet there was joy. There is something going on here. There is a, a, a lived reality that something happened to you. Somehow you are not the same. These are not the normal reactions. Verses 8 and 9 then explain that, that, that this is not just a message which you have seen and you've heard and you've nodded your head to. But it is a message and the transformation that has existed in their life together as a church family has spread into the entire region, into Macedonia and Achaia. That everyone around who knows you, who knows your circumstance, can't believe that you are sticking to your guns on this resurrection thing. And yet, Paul says no one needs to even talk about it. It's so well known how different you are. Because the resurrection points out to them that there is not just the power for, for transformation, not just that there is a hope of a transformation to come, but that there is a transformation happening in their midst. He, he, he encourages them with the, to point out, look at yourselves. Look at the way that this message of resurrection has transformed you and transformed your life, that you live with joy in the midst of affliction, that you pursue things of God rather than the, than, the, than the vices of man, that you can engage in sorrow and loss and not lose hope, that you are different, that transformation is possible, a living reality, a living organism that is growing and, and changing and flourishing. See, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't see the transformation of Jesus from death to life into eternal life, if you don't follow along with that, then you must live your life only hoping that you can limit the damage of the bad stuff. If you don't see the transformation of Jesus from death to life, then there's no real hope for you transforming as a person. You can become a, a better person. You can become a marginally different person. But the kind of transformation, the kind of transformation that sticks in the midst of sorrow and trends, the kind of transformation that sticks in the midst of, of opposition and hate, those are things you can't know. And so what Paul does is he says, you know this better than most of anything else. You know you. You know who you used to be and you know who you are. Are. And as we come to this text, and we're like the Thessalonians, we've heard a message of resurrection, and we talk about it a lot, and yet there is a lived reality that we can sometimes miss. 
And one of uh, the clearest testimonies, one of the greatest encouragements to remind you that transformation of Jesus Christ is not just possible but is happening is for, you, for us as people to do what Paul is doing in this text, and that is to remind one another of who we used to be. Some of y'all known each other a long time. Some of you all have, have lived life in this community for a long time, and you remember that the person sitting next to you has not always been the way that they are now. The way that they dealt with their, their, their last loss is not the way that they are with this loss. The, the way that they endure this job change is different from the last time they did. They've, you could see a, a piece of growth, a, a, a transformation brought about by the gospel of a resurrection. And if you can point that out to them, if you can do what Paul is doing here to, to bring to light the transformation that is happening It'll make that belief that there is a God and that there is a future all the more credible and all the more exciting. If we can remind one another not just of who we used to be, but if you can look at the lives of one another and you can point and look at the times and the places where they have made an impact. Right? The, 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 the person who brings an encouraging word. And you can see, you could sit back and watch their conversations as they, as they mingle after church. And you will see people's eyes start to lift up and light up because they've heard a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of, of a changed world because of them. If we can look at one another's workplaces, if we can look at one another's families, if we can look and see and give thanks... As Paul brings up about three times in this passage, give thanks. Because even in the midst of a dark and scary wood, even in the midst of freezing temperatures or the midst of beautiful Sunday mornings, the God's power is present. God's uh, hope of resurrection is set before us today just like it was on the rainy day that was yesterday, right? If we can remind ourselves that the transformation that God promises us is already at work and it's already happening and we can see it and know it, well, then we could be the kinds of people that are marked by the resurrection, the kinds of people who are not curled up and, and lost in the woods alone, but the kinds of people who know who they are and they know where they're going and they know where their power comes from. Because if we've been marked by the resurrection, then we can never be the same. Pray with me. God, we come to you this morning. And God, if we were to diagnose our lives, I'd would hunt, have, have a hunch to say that not very many of us, including me, would, would normally reflect on my life and say, God, what I need is a greater vision, a greater understanding of your resurrection. And yet, God, when I look at the lives of these men and women who have gone before me and I see the transformation of knowing you, of really 
actually believing that you rose from the dead and that you really actually truly have the power and the plan to bring all things new under you, God, what a difference it would make in my life. What a hope. What a joy. What a life. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would prick our hearts, that you would prod our hearts, God, that you would give us a kick in the pants if we needed, that we could see you as you are, the God of power, the God of hope, and the God of transformation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.